Talk to my friend Drew Lennon. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I look this guy for wisdom. Listeners and old alike, this is the information superhighway where there are no tolls that must be paid, where my political expertise and knowledge is gratis. That means free of charge to the liberals who aren't down with the lingo out there. I want to talk about and catch everyone up to speed with... This Supreme Court case happening right now about OSHA's unconstitutional, unprecedented vaccine mandates. Now, what are they requiring? OSHA on Monday is set to do what? Let me edify everyone. If you aren't vaccinated, testing will be required and masking for the unvaccinated. Now, there is an economic toll that will take place if this is put into effect uh it's widespread knowledge that there are countless millions of americans who will quit their jobs if this is implemented if people are made to feel uncomfortable if they're going to be treated like pariahs and second-class citizens who have to be tested daily that it's going to become so onerous to them and they're going to have to wear masks while their counterparts who are vaccinated do not people are going to flee the workplace so there is an economic toll to this that is just a practical matter. Now, these arguments took place. There were a couple of different cases brought before the Supreme Court. Oral arguments were heard. I'm going to deal mainly with the one that affects employers, businesses throughout the country who will be affected by this. That would be anyone with 100 plus employees will be required to implement these new absurd unprecedented mandates by what OSHA OSHA which is unrelated to health and human services uh, their only role is in the labor force implementing uh, safety regulations at work OSHA they don't have expertise in viruses this is one of the arguments that was heard uh, you know, this is the Department of Labor, not Health and Human Services. So what, 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 what expertise does OSHA have in communicable, communicable diseases? They're not under Health and Human Services. So why should OSHA be responsible for implementing the, well, we know why, because the federal government, it was their best Attempt, best effort, the only thing they could come up with to bring about their unconstitutional mandates of discriminatory policies in America. You know, there are over 300 million Americans in this country. And somehow, somehow in a nation of over, well over 300 million Americans, the stupidest Americans in this entire country, have made it on the Supreme Court. That's right. Now, I'm going to give you bullet points. This is how I want to go about this. This is, look, I am taking on an onerous task. Uh, these oral arguments went on for well over two hours. You don't have to listen to them. You can rely on me, who just listened to the oral arguments, so that you didn't have to, because I know you don't have time to. But that's where I come in, and why you rely on me. So I'm going to tell you what happened in the oral arguments, what's at stake, what the leftist, activist, communist judges, what they are suggesting, and so on and so forth. But the bullet points today... We have the dumbest people in America on the Supreme Court in the persons of the leftist activist judges. 
Are you ready for some of this? Some of Let's start with a Sotomayor. Now, Sotomayor once gave a speech in which she compared herself, called herself uh what what did she say? Uh she called herself a I got to get the verbiage right. It wasn't smart, wise Latina. That's right. That's right. Sotomayor is is call, had called herself previously in a speech a wise Latina, but she is a stupida Latina, and we are going to explain why right now. So she said, Council, those numbers show that Omicron is as deadly and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. Okay, 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 let me repeat that. Sotomayor. The stupida Latina says that Omicron, which everyone has come out and said is equivalent to the common cold in symptoms. Well, somehow she didn't get the memo. She, she, you know, these, these justices, by the way, they're supposed to be the most intelligent, the most brilliant, the, the, the people with the greatest capacity for rational thought, deductive reasoning, in America, if not the world. And yet, the leftists are the stupidest Americans, the stupidest people in the world. So, Sotomayor claims that Omicron is as deadly as Delta. And this is entirely false, of course. So, right out of the gate, right out of the bat, in these oral arguments, this is a claim that Sotomayor Claims. Stupida Latina claims. What else did she claim? We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before in serious condition, and many on ventilators. Have you heard this before? Are any of you familiar? I haven't heard this. I did not know that a hundred thousand, over 100,000 children are in serious condition and on ventilators because of COVID. Did you know that? Do you know why you didn't know that? Because it's not true. It's a flat out lie. She made up the number, made up this fib. It comes from nowhere, not reality. It's one it's bad enough that these people are activist judges. It's bad enough that they reinvent and make up things that are not in the constitution, but now they are inventing facts that are lies. They are uh, they are spewing the very things, misinformation, dangerous misinformation that got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene permanently banned from Twitter, even though Marjorie Taylor Greene told things that were later proven true, while Sotomayor is claiming 100,000 children, children are in serious condition and on ventilators in hospitals. And so her argument in this is, we'll get to the arguments in a minute. But let's just deal with the lies and how stupid these people are because we've got to attack their credibility because they have none. They're hacks. You listening to me, and I don't mean this in a demeaning, derogatory way because you are brilliant on your own, by your own right. I know that. If you're listening to me, you're intelligent because I don't speak down to stupid people. So you have to be smart if you're listening to me. But anyway, nonetheless, you are smarter than Sotomayor, as am I. Now, to date, this is per the CDC. So she claims Sotomayor, the stupida Latina. And I can do that, by the way, because I'm fluent in Italian. So I am not mimicking and mocking people. I actually speak a romance language. Nonetheless, she says 100,000 kids are on ventilators and in serious condition in hospitals because of COVID. But the CDC, our own government's, own government's statistics tell us that 694 children, that's 694, 694, between the ages of 0 to 17 have died with COVID. That's not even from COVID. That is with COVID. There's an important distinction to be made. Going to the hospital because you're hit by a car and bleeding to death, and then they test you and discover you have COVID, that's dying with COVID. Not from COVID. You died from the car accident and with COVID. So 694 died with COVID ages 0 to 17. With regards to hospitalizations, uh, 
to the point that I was just making, many of the children that are hospitalized who have COVID, they're not admitted with COVID symptoms as a cause. That's back to the car accident. Well, I'm bleeding profusely from my head, but I'm testing positive for COVID at the hospital. So I'm actually coming to the hospital as a zero to 17 year old because of bleeding from my head, but they're, they're testing me and I'm positive for COVID. So now, oh, I'm in the hospital with COVID. So anyway, that is an important distinction to make. Now, Kagan, Kagan, Elena Kagan, another Supreme Court justice and bimbo extraordinaire. Well, she claimed in the oral arguments that the best way to to prevent the spread of COVID-19 is for people to get vaccinated. That's the first, first best way to prevent the spread of COVID. I guess she missed the little fact that those with the vaccine and with the boosters can get COVID and transmit COVID. It's like she didn't hear the update. It's like she's still living, I don't know, nearly two years ago. Well, whenever the vaccines came out and we had Rachel Maddow come out and tell us the lie, the misinformation that if you get the vaccine, the virus stops. If you get the vaccine, you cannot get COVID. You cannot transmit COVID because that, of course, would have meant that it was actually a vaccine doing what vaccines do, creating immunity. But now we know all that's out the window. That's not true. We're calling this a vaccine when it's a shot. It's not a vaccine by any previous definition of the word, but of course the CDC being so virtuous as they are so committed to science. Well, they changed the definition of vaccine to suit this shot for COVID because a vaccine creates immunity and the COVID vaccine didn't create immunity. It only arguably created protection, limited symptoms, limited the chances of hospitalization. So they totally rewrote the definition to suit What? The COVID shot. So it's not even a vaccine. So Kagan goes on, though, and she says the second best way to prevent the spread of COVID-19 is what? To wear masks. Masks, the facial decorations that people have now gone on CNN even and said, don't do it. Now we're being told you have to wear an N95 mask because, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. All those Masks, all those face diapers we've mandated and told you work to prevent the spread of COVID. Ups, oops, we were wrong again. Now it's got to be an N95. Only an N95 surgical mask can do it. Oops, oops, sorry. And yet she is still, Kagan apparently, believes that wearing a mask has some kind of impact on controlling the virus. Breyer, Stephen Breyer, let's move on to him. He spread his own misinformation. He falsely claimed, guess what? Do you know this? Okay, how, let me ask you a question, my friends. How many, how many Americans are there? Well, it's a rhetorical question. I already addressed it early on, even before I was getting to this point. You know, let's say roughly 330 to 350 million Americans. But Breyer, he claimed that 750 million people tested positive for COVID-19 on Thursday. Can you, what, did you know that? Did you know that? 750 million people, 750 million Americans tested positive for COVID-19 on Thursday. But there's only 330 million people living in the United States. I don't know, maybe maybe 300. Now, you know, Joe Biden's done a really good job of 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 importing illegal immigrants, flying them into to Pennsylvania and other states around the country. But still, there are not 750 million people in this country, despite the best efforts of adding over a million, probably approximately two million new illegals to this country this year. But we're still. Well under 750 million Americans. So this is the most brilliant, astute minds in America on the Supreme Court that claim that the vaccine prevents the spread of COVID, 
that there are 750 million new infections in America on Thursday and that we have over 100,000 children in the hospital on ventilators from COVID-19. Welcome to the modern era of the United States of America, my friends, where the dumbest people, those of the most insane among us, the stupidest among us, are in the greatest positions of authority in America. Okay. I got to take one short break. I'm going to come back in just a minute, and I'm going to get into, and I'm going to share with you, tell you everything you need to know about this Supreme Court case. This is a BFD, as some would say. Now, I'm not prone to cursing, so a big frickin' deal. It's a very big frickin' deal, and it's been about precedent from the beginning. Mark my words, that is what this has always been about, setting precedent at the Supreme Court level, uh, for future abuses of power. This is Drew Thomas Allen, your uh, navigator, your host, unique host, lone host here that does not bring guests on because I alone have the capacity to entertain and inform without any other guests for an hour on this program. I will be right back. Don't worry, we're going to get on to the horrendous, but not surprising, economic report that came out. We're going to get into Ted Cruz. I know I talked about it on the last episode. You know, I told you my thoughts about what he said, calling the January 6th protesters domestic terrorists, essentially. Uh, Well, he went on Tucker Carlson and he dug a deeper hole for himself. But I'm going to get into all of that. Don't you worry. I'm going to get into the softball interview that my former friend Lester Holtz uh, did with Nancy Pelosi. He's become nothing short of a propagandist. Yeah, we're going to get into that from my unique perspective. Because, as you know, or maybe you don't, I actually spent a lot of time with Lester Holtz. And I have things to say about that. Uh, as related to his professional, professional failures, I guess, as a journalist. But anyway, we got to stick with this because freedom itself is at stake with this case that we're discussing that's being brought before the Supreme Court. Now, the, the, the opposition to this, uh, the counsel that is bringing this case to the Supreme Court, that is opposing these OSHA mandates, they're asking for the Supreme Court to issue a stay against the OSHA Biden-ordered mandate, okay? Because this is slated to go into effect on January 10th, okay? Uh, With enforcement coming on February 9th. And so if this court, if the Supreme Court does not issue a stay, employees who aren't vaccinated that fall under OSHA's mandates, which is 84 million Americans, by the way, it's so vast. It is so large in scope. 84 million Americans roughly are going to be affected by this. They're going to be requiring the unvaccinated to wear masks and test daily. Now, we discussed already how stupid the liberal activists are, how unintelligent they are, how they're just focused on rubber stamping, unconstitutionality. They don't have questions. They're not even... I listened to this, as I told you, right? And, you know, it's amazing. You listen to the the more conservative-leaning Supreme Court justices, and they actually... Look, they're asking questions that are fair. They're challenging the position that I am making, for example, which is their duty. But when you listen to the the the, the responses from the Sotomayors, the Briars, okay, the Kagans, well, they just are talking down to the individuals who are bringing this case to them. I mean, they've already made it clear where they stand. They're not there to to entertain this argument. They're not there to to understand the facts 
and the constitutional concerns, they're just there to say, you're an idiot. Uh, we agree with Joe Biden. And, and, I mean, it's just like the witch hunt for January 6th. I mean, they've made up their mind already. They're not entertaining anything. I mean, if they, if they had their way, they'd just do away with any of these oral arguments to begin with and just say, yep, go ahead, OSHA. But anyway, let, let's dig into this. And as I said, this is not an easy thing to address because it's convoluted. But if I could simplify this, if I could, if I could, if I could simplify this case, if I could make it in its simplest terms to describe to you, it's an issue of freedom in this country. All right? Because, I mean, it comes down to body autonomy, okay? The federal government has never, never, OSHA, of course, specifically, has never come down and issued essentially a vaccine mandate to tell workers, 84 million Americans, what they could and could not do with regards to a vaccine. They've never done this before. And so these leftists, these activists on the court, they're arguing that this is necessary. Now, let me just break away before I get into some of these comments from listening to this painful BS from the leftists in these opening oral arguments. The vaccine neither prevents contraction of covid nor does it prevent transmission. That on its face is a fact that proves that issuing vaccine mandates and treating the unvaccinated as a threat to the vaccinated is absolutely asinine. There is no difference between being vaccinated and unvaccinated at this point, except to argue, which I could disagree with, but that's not the point of this particular program today. Except to point out that if you get vaccinated, the argument is still that, well, it lessens the individual who gets the vaccine. The individual who is vaccinated lessens that person's chances of hospitalization or or experiencing more severe symptoms. So it has nothing to do with impacting or affecting anyone around you. It's all about how it impacts you. You get the vaccine. And you protect yourself. But of course, these OSHA mandates are absurd because they are treating the unvaccinated as if there's some kind of difference, as if they are a threat to the others around them. And yet the admission, which is accepted, which is scientific, which is true, which is indisputable, is that the vaccinated and unvaccinated alike can get COVID and transmit COVID. And so that by virtue of that simple fact, proves that this has nothing to do with protecting those around you. And yet, despite this evidence, despite this truth, what is happening? So Kagan, she suggests in the oral arguments that the policy that is most geared to stopping all of this, all of this being the pandemic, stopping the pandemic is to get vaccinated, to put forward vaccine mandates. And yet we know that it's not going to end the pandemic, especially with Omicron. Omicron, they've acknowledged, despite being double vaccinated and boosted, boosted as Fauci would say, well, you can still get Omicron. It makes no difference. And so how can you know that and claim that the policy most geared to stopping the pandemic is to get vaccinated? 100% vaccination rate. Obviously, it's not working. This is not true. And so Kagan goes on in the arguments to say that nothing else, there's nothing else that will perform that function of ending the pandemic. The pandemic of the mind, by the way. Some people live in fear. Some people don't. Some people enjoy their lives. Other peoples want to destroy other people's lives. But anyway, nothing's going to perform the function of ending the pandemic better than to incentivize people to vaccinate themselves. It's not, an in, in, it's not incentivizing. Uh, we had de Blasio offering burgers and fries for free to incentivize. The vaccine's out there. You can get it if you want it. 
So she's not talk, talking about incentivizing. She's talking about forcing. This is important, too, with the language. They're not incentivizing. They are compelling, and that's the goal. Just like we've seen in other countries that, shockingly, are worse than America, that are making life, and we've heard it in America, too, with these people on the left saying, we want to make life so difficult and painful for these people that they get vaccinated to make it stop. You can't enjoy your unalienable rights unless you're vaccinated. Like New York, vaccine passports, all this is geared towards that. Forcing you to get vaccinated. And why? You can still get the virus. So what's the point? Rhetorical question. You know this if you've been listening to me. But anyway, you know, Kagan, of course, promotes this myth and lie that we've never faced this before. Are you kidding me? How about polio? How about the Spanish flu? This, I mean, look, the, the, the real truth is that the survivability of this is massive. And if you actually incorporate treatments, effective treatments, I mean, the odds of any person dying from COVID are actually nil. I mean, obesity is a big factor in this. The majority of people who die from COVID, of course, they have pre-existing conditions. They, have, they are obese in many cases. Well, you could handle that by exercising. But there's no conversation. It's all geared towards what? Forcing everyone to get vaccinated. So Kagan goes on and she claims in the oral arguments, we know the best way to prevent spread is to get vaccinated. But what did I just say and what do we all know? Getting vaccinated does not prevent the spread. And so this is a lie on its face. This person does not have any ownership, any mastery of facts and truth and scientific data. They are repeating misinformation and lies. What's the second best way? Wear masks, Kagan says. So force the... Uh, oh, look, if the vaccinated and unvaccinated alike can get and transmit COVID, why would you only have the unvaccinated Forced to wear masks in a workplace environment. Again, stupid. I mean, but her argument as she goes on, uh, you know, let me, let me pause here. Let me pause here, okay? Bear with me. I, I told you this was an onerous task, and we're tackling it together. Um, one of the arguments against these OSHA mandates is that this is not a workplace issue. This is a in-the-world issue. The virus doesn't attack people specifically in the workplace. You can get it at the grocery store. You can get it interacting with your friends, going out to dinner. It's just here to stay. Just like the flu, just like the cold, like anything else. And so to act like you're going to put these, implement these mandates in place to control the virus at work well, it has no, no implications outside of work because you could just as easily contract COVID outside of work as you could at work. There's no specificity to this. It's one thing for OSHA to say, look, if you work in some kind of industrial plant where you're dealing with metal work or something like that and you have to put a face mask on, a protective gear to protect yourself from burning out your eyes, well, that makes sense because that is specific to where you work. But the virus isn't specific to where you work. And the other argument by the idiots on the Supreme Court, the leftist activists, is that, oh, well, you can't control who you're around at work because you just have to work with them. And the unvaccinated are threatening the lives of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. But everyone can get and spread COVID. The vaccine is meant to protect you. So you get the vaccine to protect yourself, not other people. This is the big lie that's been told. But what else is going on? The Postal Service in America and Amtrak, they have said, do not do this. Do not implement these mandates because why? Employees are going to quit. They're going to quit. And we're going to have unprecedented additional economic havoc because of this, because of this. And, you know, Justin Breyer is one of the worst in this, by the way. He's an a-hole, a real a-hole the way he talks and condescends. But that is so representative of where we are in America today. These elitists who talk down to us. 
But Breyer's argument is that how can it conceivably be in the public interest to give people their freedom? That is basically what he argues. To me, that is unbelievable. That's inconceivable. That you have a Supreme Court justice, Stephen Breyer, who is saying that, you know, in the, in, the, in the name of public health and safety, other people can't have their freedom. How It's inconceivable to Stephen Breyer how some American could choose not to get vaccinated, not to follow the mandates, unconstitutional mandates of the federal government and OSHA. But Breyer's a jerk off. But there's another thing, too. Think about the burden to businesses with regards to requiring daily testing to their employees that are unvaccinated. It's not cheap. It's expensive. It's an added cost to businesses. It is not realistic. They don't have the money to pay for this kind of thing. And it's ridiculous anyway to test every day if you have COVID. And you're just going to test the unvaccinated? I mean, places in Napa County where I live now are testing the unvaxxed and the vaxxed alike for Omicron. They're bringing in testing people to test everyone there for Omicron. Give me a break. Give me a break. So the question from these leftists is, why should the court stay this, uh, this OSHA mandate that's coming out on January 9th, January 10th for immediate relief? Well, I told you, businesses... Businesses have already said workers are going to quit. There's permanent worker displacement. And there's billions in non-recoverable cost, it's called. Businesses are going to be put out of businesses, out of business. These companies are going to be bankrupted, bankrupted by this. Losing employees and then having the added cost of daily testing, it's not Realistic. I choose to live in reality, and reality is death and disease exists. Life is not without risk. And the majority of Americans aren't at risk from COVID and certainly not Omicron. And all of this is based on, of course, the 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 nonsense that the vaccinated are different than the unvaxxed, and that is demonstrably untrue. And that's Sotomayor, Sotomayor, the uh, stupida Latina. What does she say? Well, more to the same. The unvaxxed worker affects vaccinated workers. Have you heard something so stupid? The unvaxxed worker affects vaccinated workers. How so? You're vaccinated. You're vaccinated. You've gotten the vaccine, the booster shot, everything you, you can do to protect yourself, and yet you can still get COVID. So what does the unvaxxed worker have to do in any way with the vaccinated worker? You see, this is the thing. They're trying to create two classes of citizens, and yet there's no difference amongst us. Kagan. Let's move on to Elena Kagan. She suggests, of course, well, this is typical. You know, Kagan's arguments are prototypical stereotypical, a perfect embodiment of the deceit of the left and the way they function. Who has credibility and who doesn't? Which doctors are we to listen to and which are we to reject? Well, she suggests that, well, the agency's facts, that would be OSHA, well, they are somehow superior to the facts that are being proposed in the lawsuit. She makes one argument, too, that catching COVID keeps people out of the workplace. Catching COVID. Now, uh, you know, I mean, for a leftist, this seems like, you know, hey, this is a great argument to make. You know, you're saying that we're going to we're going to create economic havoc by displacing workers who choose not to be vaccinated. Well, what's the difference if you catch COVID? You also are kept out of the workplace and that wreaks economic havoc. But of course, the reality is, the thing staring us in the face is that the unvaxxed and vaxxed alike can get COVID. 
So forcing vaccination or treating the vac- unvaccinated differently than the vaccinated is stupid because there's no difference. And at the end of the day, what, what did Joe Biden argue recently when he, well, I, look, I warned you of this. I told you this truth. When Joe Biden came out and gave his little speech, whatever it was before Christmas, and he threw up his hands and said, he can't stop the virus. The federal government can't stop the virus. It's the states have to do it. What did I tell you? I said, do not get excited by this. Don't get excited by this. He's just trying to escape blame for himself because he's failed by every measure in terms of his control or his plan for stopping the virus because more people have died under Biden than Trump and he's done nothing, done nothing. His only solution was everyone get vaccinated and that didn't work because the vaccine does not work. It doesn't prevent the spread of COVID. And so I warned you. I said, listen to me. Listen. He's just absolving himself of blame and putting it on the states like a good communist. But, but here we are, to my point. The argument's being made, look, states can can, um, regulate themselves. And so, so let me put it this way. Joe Biden argued the states have to be responsible. Only they uh, can be tasked with dealing with COVID at the state level. He can't do it. The federal government can't stop it. And yet, what is this case all about? The case by these leftist activist judges is the federal government has to do this because states can make their own laws. Businesses, businesses can make their own rules and regulations as they see fit. But that's not good enough. What is the Supreme Court? What are Kagan? What is Sotomayor? What are Breyer saying? Well, they're saying the federal government, the federal government should, should give OSHA the power to regulate this and that they should have a national rule to protect workers. And they cite certain states, of course, without saying it, they're talking about Florida, which is a free state that doesn't require, doesn't have mass mandates doesn't have any kind of mandates in place. You you live your life as you see fit. If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. If you don't, you don't. If you want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated, and so on and so forth. But it's, a, it's you know, this free state of Florida. But Kagan, of course, says, well, certain states are stopping masking and vaccines. So they're not happy with the states setting their own rules. They want, they want this overarching authority, which is OSHA. Do what's necessary. Do what's necessary. But the point is, this has never been done before. There's no precedent for this. This is ridiculous. OSHA has never, ever required vaccine mandates. Never required daily testing. And furthermore, 84 million Americans, or two-thirds of the workforce, are going to be affected by this. It's not the government's job to protect us from illness. I am sorry. That is not their role. To be so intrusive in our lives, to protect us from getting the flu, the common cold, that's our choice. And it's unrealistic. But the point is, look, the argument is made, which I think is worth mentioning here. COVID is a danger that we face as a matter of waking up in the morning. It's not a work-related danger. It's not specific to the workplace. And the leftists on the court throughout these oral arguments argue that, well, you know, every workplace was affected by COVID. They all had to make adjustments. What's the problem with this? No, they weren't. Look, the government mandated changes, mandated change. They forced businesses closed. So every workplace was affected, not by COVID, but by mandates from the government. And OSHA is not the de facto health agency. They're not. And where can they go from this? From here to climate change, is that insane to see? It's not. That's what this is really about. They're fighting for this because they want the precedent. 
that in the name of health and public safety, OSHA can become the de facto health agency that we do not vote for, that is a, 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 a simply an arm of the federal government and the Democratic Party to implement any regulations they wish. Any regulations they wish. So, okay, climate change. Well, how many people are going to die from climate change according to the Democrats? Well, I mean, they said we should all be dead 20 years ago. Manhattan was supposed to be underwater. The Maldives were supposed to have disappeared. The polar bears were supposed to have been extinct, except there's more polar bears than ever before. But nonetheless, in the name of saving the planet, OSHA can then come in too, and they can say, well, there's precedent for this. We did this for the virus to save lives, to protect people for their own good for public safety, and now in the name of climate change, we can implement whatever measures we want as well. This is how it goes. This is the, 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 the slow creep towards totalitarianism. It's step by step by step. And that's what we're witnessing here. That's what this is really about. And so it's looking like the conservative justices are going to hold strong and this OSHA mandate will they will put a stay on this, hopefully. At least the leftist media is losing their minds. They're telling us and signaling, oh my gosh, this is the end. OSHA's going to shoot. OSHA won't be able to implement this, but they shouldn't be able to implement this. They shouldn't. Um, OSHA's not an expert in this. And frankly, the way this went about, too, you know, typically OSHA is supposed to look at specific businesses and identify dangers and then. And then suggest and recommend uh, safety precautions, okay? So if you work in a factory and you're dealing with sparks like we talked about before, yeah, you wear a face mask. It's common sense. But in this case, OSHA wasn't the one who came in and said, hey, we identify we identify the dangers of the virus. So we, No, it was Joe Biden and the Democratic Party who told OSHA, gave OSHA the order to do this. All right. All right, I don't know if I've exhausted this. I don't know if I'm making sense. I think I am. I think I'm making sense. But this is the gist. The argument is that this is too broad in scope, that this is affecting too many workers, that this is going to have just unbearable economic destructive results in our economy because of this, and we shouldn't do it. OSHA doesn't have the authority to do it. There's no precedent for this. And the leftist judges are saying to hell with your freedom, to hell with precedent. We don't care. We are saying that this is the most dangerous threat to mankind in human history. And OSHA can do whatever it wants to save lives. That's basically the gist of this. That's the gist of this. If the chosen scientists, if the chosen experts on the left side, on the Democratic Party side, tell you, rubber stamp the idea that something is dangerous enough, then they can come in and do anything they want. Totalitarianism is what this case is about. And if the justices rule that OSHA can do this, let me tell you something. There's no limit to what they cannot do. America as we know it is over. That is how serious this is. This is Drew Allen. I will be right back. Keep my hands on myself. You heard me in the last episode express my extreme disapproval, my extreme disappointment, I should say, more accurately, in Ted Cruz's recent comments calling the January 6th protesters, equating them with terrorists, saying that a violent terrorist attack took place on January 6th. And he got the message. I mean, not from me per se, but the message that, well, what I had said represented what tens of millions of Americans felt as well. And obviously Ted Cruz got the memo because he texted Tucker Carlson 
to ask if he could come on the show, and he did go on the show with Tucker, to try and backpedal, to try and escape the, well, the, the, the ire of conservatives around this country who took objection with what he said, playing into the hands of the left. And so I'm just going to play a short clip now of his appearance on Tucker Carlson to set the stage. Tucker confronts him just like all of us would like to do, saying, hey, you said the January 6th protesters, you know, that was a violent terror attack. What, what, what are you doing? So here's Tucker. So I guess what I, I mean, there are a lot of dumb people in the Congress. You're not one of them. I think you're smarter than I am. Uh, and you never use words carelessly. Um, and yet you called this a terror attack when by no definition was it a terror attack. That's a lie. You told that lie on purpose, and I'm wondering why you did. Well, Tucker, thank you for having me on. When you aired your episode last night, I, I sent you a text shortly thereafter and said, listen, I'd like to go on because the way I phrased things yesterday, it, it was sloppy and, and it was frankly dumb. And, I don't and buy that. Result, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I don't well, buy that. For, look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. And every word you repeated that phrase, I do not believe that you used that accidentally. I just don't. It's, so, Tucker, as a result of my sloppy phrasing, it's caused a lot of people to misunderstand what I meant. Let me. T- so, I'm going to stop it there. Uh, Ted Cruz goes on to suggest that he wasn't saying that we, you and me, are all terrorists, that all Trump supporters are terrorists, that all the protesters there or the, the, the people at the rally, he's not saying they were terrorists. <clears throat> well, we know that, Ted. We know that. We know you weren't saying that, and we didn't misunderstand you. You said, Ted, that the people that went into the Capitol building, the people that were fighting with the cops, they were involved in a violent terrorist attack. And so the issue here, look, Tucker continues to press him because he's backed into a corner, Ted Cruz is. And he suggests, well, look, I've used the language terrorist uh, consistently. Anybody who assaults a cop is a, is a terrorist, essentially. And Tucker says, whoa, 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 whoa. Just because somebody assaults a cop doesn't make them a terrorist. What you did was play into their verbiage, their narrative. And so Ted doesn't, he actually digs himself a deeper hole in the Tucker Carlson interview. Because we know, we know why Ted Cruz said what he said. And I just want to say this too. Look, I'm not an anti-Ted Cruz guy. He is a smart guy. I like him. He's done a lot of good things for the conservative movement. But look, we're pragmatists. We have virtues and principles. And we are not, you know, it's not beneath us to criticize our own. Unlike the Democrats who never criticize anything Democrats do. They could blow up a building themselves and escape criticism and culpability. Because they're Democrats. We don't do that. And so Ted Cruz messed up here, just like I said last time. But the problem is what we wanted. The only thing that could have fixed this. Because we say, okay, why are you using the verbiage of the left? Why would you call this a terrorist attack when it obviously wasn't a terrorist attack? And when the left wants you to say that, that gives them ammunition. Well, he's fearful of the media. He's thinking about the political repercussions in Washington, D.C. And if you want to have a life, listen to me. If you want to have a life in Washington, D.C., you have to do as the Washington, D.C. establishment and media demands. And so what we have here is a clear example of even Ted Cruz. This is important. Ted Cruz is a stalwart He is a strong conservative, but no man or woman, despite their conservatism, despite their principles, if you live in that swamp long enough, you too will feel the pressure to go along with the swamp. And that's exactly what took place here. Ted Cruz made a political calculation wrong in my personal opinion. 
that it was better to come out and just admit this was a terror attack to try and escape blame and hatred from the media, but you cannot appease the left. There's nothing you can say. I mean, we learned this lesson, learned this lesson with Adam Kinzinger out of Illinois. I mean, he and Liz Cheney, let's look at those two, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger. They have done everything they can to become darlings of the media establishment, of the left. Now, Adam Kinzinger has essentially had his constituency, after the, after the last census, right, they redraw the maps in the states. They redraw them. It's called redistricting or gerrymandering in some cases, if you want to call it that. But nonetheless... Adam Kinzinger did everything the left wanted, and they tossed him aside. They do not care about you. And this is the lesson to be learned from this, and I hope Ted Cruz learns it. Serve your base. Serve your principle. Serve what is right and righteous and truthful. Do not play into the left to try and find favor with them, because they will always destroy you. No Democrat after Ted Cruz called that a terror attack, came to his defense. No Democrat is suddenly going to defend him and promote him and try and prevent Beto O'Rourke from running against him in Texas again. That's not how it works. And so Ted Cruz should have just told us, look, and this would have been important. This would have shaken the D.C. establishment world to say, look, I said that and I made a mistake because, because, look, you don't understand the heat we get out here. You don't understand the, 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 the compression, compressor situation we're in with these leftists, with the media, breathing down our throats, threatening us, and everything else. And so I said a terror attack to appease them. I said a terror attack just because I didn't want ads run against me. I just didn't want to make another issue. That would have been truthful and honest because we know that's what happened. But Ted Cruz didn't do it. He went on that Tucker Carlson show, and he dug a deeper hole because he wasn't honest. He wasn't authentic. And it's insulting to our intelligence. We know Ted Cruz is smart. We know he's deliberate with his language. We know he's not a stupid person. But for him to go on Tucker's show and make this statement, oh, I just, I, I, I messed up, I, I wasn't careful enough with my words. No, no, we're not that stupid. That's insulting to me. We know you're smart. We know you say what you intend to say. You don't make missteps like this. And furthermore, as Tucker pressed you, you didn't change it. You tried to make excuses, say, well, I, I always call these types of things terror attacks when it's against cops. No, Ted. No. You're, you're, equiv- you're, you're, you're trying. You just said that what happened on January 6th was a terror attack. And that, of course, Kamala Harris came out and said, oh, this is like 9-11. This was like Pearl Harbor, which is insane. But I'm going to play a clip from, from Joe Biden here. You know, look, he was, the Democrats are so predictable. There's nothing surprising anymore. Uh, there's nothing that surprises me. We, we, we can predict exactly what they're going to say, what their stance is going to be, and how they're going to div- divide the country further. But this is what, this is what uh, Joe Biden said about the January 6th fake insurrection that never was, okay? In his most forceful attack against his predecessor, the president placing blame squarely at the feet of former President Trump without ever mentioning him by name. For the first time in our history... The president had not just lost an election. He tried to prevent the peaceful transfer of power as a violent mob breached the Capitol. Honestly, give me a break. For the first time in our history, a president had not just lost an election. He tried to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. Okay. All right. Here's the gaslighting that drives us all insane. Obviously, Donald Trump didn't try to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. The allegation that he goes on to say, of course, is that Donald Trump incited an insurrection. He says he rejected that he lost. He rejected the results of the 2020 election. Now, gee, doesn't that sound awfully familiar? I cannot take it anymore with the Democrats. I cannot take it. Uh, Hillary Clinton to this day denies the fact that she lost... The 2016 election. 
She denies that fact. She still claims that she is the rightful winner of the 2016 election. And but for Trump-Russia collusion that didn't happen, she would be the president of the United States. And in fact, countless Democrats, including Joe Biden, including Kamala Harris, after Trump was inaugurated, made the claim that Trump was an illegitimate president. There were three days of riots, three days of riots following on the day of Trump's inauguration and then the days thereafter in which tons of damage was done in the in and around D.C. and around the country, actually, as a matter of fact. Cops were injured. Buildings were, were uh, uh, destroyed. Hammers were taken to glass. Cars were lit on fire. Was that a peaceful transfer of power? And also, how about this for a peaceful transfer of power? Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, the entire Democratic Party apparatus, and, and certainly rhinos as well, participated in a coup attempt to subvert the will of the American people, propelling the lie, promulgating the lie, that Trump stole the 2016 election, they all were on board for that. That was an act of sedition. That was an effort to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. And here you have Biden sitting there with his dentures loose in his mouth, but president, for the first time in our history, not just lost an election, to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. Uh, his dentures are loose. But he should have good health care, so maybe he should get that fixed. But this is insane. But I, uh, I'm i not going to have time to get to the economy today, actually. Just know the economy is in dire straits, that we missed the mark again for job creation by roughly 50%. The predictions were off by that far. And Joe Biden had the audacity to claim that the economy has never been better than better before. Better before. Just absolute lies from this administration. But... uh. We've got a new revelation on January 6th from Lester Holt, nonetheless. And um, it's disappointing to me. Disappointing to me because I personally know Lester. And it's a conversation for another day, I suppose. uh, What has happened to Lester and the propagandist he's become. But nonetheless, nonetheless, there was a big revelation... On January 6th, a year after, a year after the insurrection, we just now learned something important. All right, here it is. I'm going to play it, then we'll talk about it. And Kristen, we've just learned new information about where Vice President Harris was on January 6th. Lester, that's right. A White House official tells us the vice president was at the DNC headquarters when that pipe bomb, which we reported on at the time, was discovered. She was there until she was evacuated. So, of course, there are a million avenues of opportunity, a million ways to look at what was just said. We have just learned that Kamala Harris, one year ago to this day, we just learned that she was actually in the DNC headquarters where the pipe bomb was. Wow, we didn't know that for a year? That's just coming out like big new? Well, she's alive. The pipe bomber placers... The pipe bomber extraordinaires, well, they, they've never been found by the FBI. I mean, they can track down a grandma uh, who sent a text message on January 6th who was in her hotel room in D.C. and wasn't even at the pro. They can track that grandma down and arrest her and arraign her, but they can't find the pipe bombers. How about that? But nonetheless, here's the big revelation. They've been holding on to this for a year. This is a big revelation, a big hitter. Holy cow. Hell. Kamala Harris was nearby the pipe bomb. Now, we didn't tell you this a year ago. It didn't come out until today, one year after, after the insurrection. We're now learning Kamala Harris narrowly escaped with her life, just like Nancy Pelosi narrowly escaped with her life. AOC, all the congressmen narrowly escaped with their lives. But Kamala Harris, this is the big news story. She was in the DNC head. Well, I'm so glad to learn this. I was losing sleep at night wondering exactly where Kamala Harris was on January 6th of 2020. I didn't know. I was having nightmares. I mean, I knew she was alive, but I was just thinking to myself, but where was she to have survived? Was she in danger? Where could she have been? 
Oh my, what, who, huh? So there you have it, folks. There you have it. The big reveal by Lester Holt, Kamala Harris, was nearby a pipe bomb that we don't know if it was even active or functional or a fake because they haven't even found the pipe bombers. But you would think they would find these these pipe bombers, right? Because, uh, I mean, that's the vice president of the United States, for God's sake. And, I mean, they were threatening her. She was in proximity to the pipe bomb, and they can't find the pipe. This is the most brilliant criminal on the face of the earth, folks. This person is better than Ted Bundy. I mean, he is just flying under the radar. They can find any domestic terrorist in the world. I mean, if you are a parent and goes to a school board meeting in this country, my God, you will be hunted and tracked down by Merrick Garland tomorrow. If you, if you raise objection to critical race theory or transgenderism, being taught to your child in middle school, if you go to a school board meeting and speak out against that, you will be you will be arrested and arraigned tomorrow by the FBI. But a person who places a pipe bomb outside of the Democrat National Committee headquarters in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, you can never be found. That is how good of a criminal you must be. But anyway, what a joke. What a joke. That's the ammunition. It's not enough to tell the same BS lies about January 6th, you know, that we've heard for a year. But now we have to have some new phony revelation to try and up the ante, to try and add fuel to the fire. Kamala Harris. Well, she was near the pipe bomb. We just learned this one year later. Everyone get crazy. Everyone look at the threat to democracy. But for now, we didn't reveal to you this scary truth. Kamala Harris. Anyway. <clears throat> but you know, Joe Biden Joe Biden is uh is so so reprehensible. This guy who claimed he was going to unite the United States of America, he was going to bring us together. And he comes out and and how about this pettiness? He, you know, Joe Biden admonished his predecessor without mentioning him by name. It's like they want to forget him, but they can't forget him. They won't mention his name, but they're obsessed with him. They're going to make him disappear. They, they don't have enough respect. They want to, they want to pretend like he's, he's, he's a thing of the past, except they're only focused on him. But they won't mention him by name, like Voldemort. Don't say Voldemort, okay? We won't say it. If we don't say it, he's not real. But all of our energy and attention is focused on what? Donald Trump. That's it. What do you think? S serious question in a moment of silence here. What, 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 what would a responsible commander-in-chief say after January 6th, the year later? I mean, if, if, if the commander-in-chief was really, truly interested in unifying the country and moving forward, what would you say? Not what Joe Biden would say, right? You might say something to, effect, to the effect of, look, you know, We've had our fair share of incidents in this country. We don't trust each other anymore, and there's good reason for that. You know, the Democrats have done this. They questioned the election results of 2016. Now Republicans are questioning the election results of 2020. There have been violent acts throughout this country, things that have no place in America, and we've got to focus on what we have in common. But he's not doing any of that, of course. <clears throat> and, of course, I, I'm, I'm, I mean... I'm giving an example of what someone might say. That wouldn't be a great thing to say either because it's assuming that Democrats and Republicans are the same, and we're not. They're totalitarians. We're not. They gaslight us. They project. They accuse us of everything they're guilty of. But the point is, these people are such liars. They're so full of deceit and hatred. We're going to unify the country, but... Screw the un screw the unvax. We hope you die have a have a miserable winter of death and disease. Uh, we want to unify the country, but Republicans are threatening democracy, and Donald Trump has to be sent to prison. We want to unify the country, but Republicans are the most dangerous threat to democracy since the Civil War. Um, I mean, come on, come on, folks. I mean, this is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. We have no leadership right now, being ruled by children. But worse than that. I mean, the, the, these individuals, of course, yeah, they're tyrants, 
but they're they're dead set on doing the opposite of what they say. We know this about that. We know this about them. But anyway, my January 6th prediction, of course, came true. I can't, I'm not patting myself on the back. That's no feat. Anybody could have done it. They're so predictable and easy. But, you know, this is where we are. This is where we are. We're the media that is totally in the pocket of the Democratic Party. They're a PR firm of the Democrats at this point. And, you know, Kamala comparing what happened on January 6th to September 11th in Pearl Harbor. Thousands of people died on September 11th. Thousands of people died during Pearl Harbor. And she is equating January 6th in which only one person died. You know what? Let me me end with this. You, You know, Alec Baldwin has killed more people than all of these 600 combined arrested protesters from January 6th. That's right. He killed one woman. Killed one woman on his film set. And yet, not a single protester on January 6th killed anyone. The only person who was killed was Ashley Babbitt by a by a Capitol Police officer named Michael Byrd. And Michael Byrd, he is on the loose. He is a hero to the left. Celebrated. Celebrated as a hero who defended democracy by murdering an unarmed white woman. If only her name was George Floyd. If only Ashley Babbitt had been a black man who kicked a pregnant woman in the stomach and was a criminal named George Floyd, then we'd have a different narrative. But Michael Byrd is a hero for shooting an unarmed white woman and veteran. And Ashley Babbitt deserved to die. Deserved to die. But anyway, I had to bring you this special broadcast, my friends, because I love you so much. And I wanted to update you on the Supreme Court case because I think it's important. It's not over. I hope it was enlightening. And uh, let's take it to the left, baby, every day. God bless you all. Until next time.